Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Um, are you familiar with the Bubble Buddy episode of SpongeBob? That sounds familiar, but you know, it's been so long since I've seen a SpongeBob episode that uh, I don't quite remember it. All right. Well, highly recommended, and I'm going to refresh your memory. So basically, SpongeBob is a little lonely, so he blows a bubble who forms the shape of a person or fish, I guess. Bubble Buddy! This is great! And he's like really cool. Everybody loves him, but then eventually. He sort of outstays his welcome, becomes a big problem for the whole town, and everybody turns on him. Who's with me? Pop the bubble! <laughs> um, would you say we could be seeing a similar situation with the Federal Reserve and an economic bubble? <laughs> um, that That's a, a complex question, but I do love the analogy, um, because certainly financial bubbles are the type of thing that um, you love until they until they pop. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Pop Litico Dispatch. <laughs> and today, my name is Victoria Guida and I cover economic policy for Politico. Victoria Guida on fears that the Fed could be feeding a financial bubble. So, Victoria, you've been reporting on how the Federal Reserve, the central bank, for the past more than a year at this point, has been buying up assets, what you all covering wonky economic stuff call asset purchases, which is basically making big purchases of things like government debt, pumping huge sums of money into the economy. Explain how exactly the Fed has been doing that and and what the strategy has been there. The Fed has been buying $120 billion of assets a month um, in an effort to support the economy. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit confusing because there are actually a couple of different reasons why the Fed uh, does these asset purchases. And part of the reason why it started doing them um, in March of last year is actually because uh, a bunch of really key markets started grinding to a halt because everyone was kind of in a panic where investors basically just wanted cash. And so everybody was selling everything. We start with breaking news. Wall Street is about to close any minute now. The Dow collapsing around 1900. The word sell-off doesn't even begin to describe what played out on Wall Street today. The Dow ended up dropping more than 2,000 points. Trading was halted again today after we fell 7% in the afternoon, but the pause did not refresh. Selling continued, and the average return of an S&P 500 stock today was a loss of nearly 8%. So the Fed stepped in basically to kind of like grease the wheels and get everything turning again so that people kind of calm down a little bit. And that was uh, that was very effective. The Fed has acted and they have acted uh, in a way that is quite dramatic, lowering interest rates almost down to zero. So, um, you know, you you might hear, you know, news every once in a while about, you know, what is the Fed going to do with interest rates? Usually that refers to uh, they control short term rates and short term rates affect longer term rates. And when I say longer term rates, I'm thinking of things like, you know, a th- 30-year mortgage or, you know, a car loan that might be over several years, as opposed to something that you would pay over over, over a shorter period. Uh-huh. So asset purchases sort of supercharge when the Fed lowers rates. It 
also make sure that all the way going out, even in sort of longer term loans, that those rates are as low as possible. So what the Fed was also trying to do was make sure that while we had this economic crisis that was very uncertain, that um, borrowing money was as cheap as possible for as long as possible so that you know investors felt more comfortable maybe making longer term investments uh because they had sort of a sense that the fed was going to keep having easy money for a while does that make sense yeah so so it's like the economy is freezing they want it to be easy for people to borrow money so they not only lower interest rates which makes it easier to get cash for stuff in the short term but also do this asset purchasing thing to make it easier in the long term for bigger loans for things like houses and stuff. Yeah, because the Fed is basically saying, look, we're going to be here. We're going to make sure that uh, money is available for people. Because, I mean, this is always sort of the the problem with, with a recession and in, in, you know, in the potential of a financial crisis is basically if if credit freezes up, if people can't borrow money, then everything kind of grinds to a halt because the U.S. economy runs so much on debt. So now we're more than a year past the start of the pandemic. The economy is mostly reopening. The stock market's doing well. And I mean, you mentioned making it easier to get a, a mortgage. The housing market now is skyrocketing. But the Fed is still doing this buying, still pumping dollars into the economy, something that has sparked criticism over people who are afraid of a bubble, which I want to talk about. But first, why is the Fed still doing these things intended to prop up the economy when the economy basically seems to be standing on its own? So this is this is the question that a lot of people are asking. Does the economy really need this kind of support, given that it seems like things are are really picking up? Well, I was going to say on their own, but with a lot of help from Congress. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So there are a couple of reasons. One is all of that help from Congress that I was just talking about. All of that aid is going to start to run out. And what the Fed is worried about is it doesn't know what the job market or the economy is necessarily going to look like once all of that aid starts to run out. So they don't want to be in a position where they start pulling back support and then all of a sudden economic conditions start to get worse, especially as we're starting to see sort of the, the Delta variant factor in and, and cases rise again. So um, they, they want to be a little bit more sure about the economic picture before they um, start to, to pull back. And then um, there's another reason, which is sort of... Uh, related to communications. Bond markets expected that there was going to be a certain period of time over which the Fed was going to be buying these assets. And that was part of the reason why they had such a big reaction. And so the concern would be if they pull back too much earlier than when markets expect, then maybe in the future, markets will be like suspicious that when the Fed says that it's going to do a certain amount of of help for the economy that, um, you know, it, it might not actually follow through. So the Fed also wants to make sure that what it says to markets, markets can believe it because part of the reasons why its policy is so effective is because markets believe them. All right. So I I get that reasoning, but you do have experts and lawmakers warning that all of this buying from the Fed, all of this propping up of the economy could become a problem. What is the fear here? Right. So the fear would be that it's feeding asset bubbles. So, uh, you know, I, I should caveat and say, you know, it's, it's never totally clear 
that you're in a bubble until it pops. Mm -hmm. That's a little scary. (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. All of economics is kind of scary in that sense. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there are a lot of people who think that, for example, home prices are, uh, you know, bubbles in in certain areas of the country. Mm -hmm. People think that some areas of the stock market might be a bubble. And so the concern would be that um, if you're just feeding more and more and more into that, then eventually when the Fed does start to pull back on its support and things go back to a normal level of interest rates based on like a, a an economy that's actually healthy, mm-hmm. uh, that that could suddenly let the air out of a lot of those bubbles, which could have some sort of economic collateral damage. So that would be the fear if these purchases are are sort of making that problem worse. That does sound scary to me. And you say in your report that a growing number of lawmakers, economic experts, even people at the Fed are wondering about this. You have Senator Pat Toomey from the Banking Committee quoted saying there is no justification for the Fed doing this. You have an economist quoted saying um, it's counterproductive on every level. Um, The Fed is going to meet this week to talk about their policies. Could we see a shift on this, given some of the bubble concern? They're not really expected to actually make any decisions at this meeting, but they're expected to have a robust discussion about it. And the question is basically whether they start signaling that the bond purchases are going to start slowing sooner rather than later. So that's that's sort of the big question mark out of this meeting is whether they're going to send any new signals or if they're going to hold off until their meeting in September, for example, to start maybe giving a little bit clearer of, of a picture. Because again, this all feeds into the idea that the Fed likes to, you know, communicate to markets, let them know what to expect so that we don't have sort of these like jolts where all of a sudden, you know, markets drop a ton or something like that. They try and be very very careful about, you know, giving people plenty of notice so that they know how to plan ahead. Victoria Guida, thanks so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also today, longtime Trump advisor Tom Barrick is pleading not guilty to charges that he secretly acted as an agent for the United Arab Emirates. The 74-year-old private equity investor who chaired Trump's inaugural committee was arraigned in federal court on Monday on a seven-count indictment. Prosecutors say he put pro-UAE language into a Trump campaign speech in May of 2016, took direction from UAE officials about what to say in media appearances, and agreed to promote the Middle Eastern nation's favored candidate for the U.S. ambassadorship there. Barrick was released on Monday on a $250 million bond. And the Biden administration says that long COVID, a condition where people experience long-term coronavirus symptoms after clearing the actual virus from their system, can be considered a disability under civil rights laws. Biden announced the new guidance on the 31st anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. According to the DOJ, long COVID will be considered a disability, quote, 
if the person's condition or any of its symptoms is a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities. But long COVID is not always considered a disability under the new guidelines. The agency says an individualized assessment is necessary to determine whether a person's condition or any of its symptoms limits their abilities. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, leave a rating and review or tell a friend, a family member, tell everyone you know to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.